the network timestamps transactions by hashing them into an ongoing chain of hash-based proof-of-work, forming a record that cannot be changed without redoing the proof-of-work. Satoshi Nakamoto. Welcome to What is Your Bitcoin Story podcast that explores the unique journeys of individuals in the world of Bitcoin with your host Gigi. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming Mark, a man with a captivating background in psychology, poker and sales, who has founded his true calling in the realm of Bitcoin. Mark's journey began with curiosity about money. He dove into traditional investing and even surfed the wild waves of shitcoins in the crypto space. However, it was the 2020 pandemic that served as a wake-up call, revealing the true power governments hold over our financial destinies. Disillusioned by the broken fiat currencies and rampant scams in the crypto space, Mark found himself drawn to the unwavering principle of Bitcoin. This newfound awareness sparked an extraordinary spiritual journey for Mark, selling everything and embarking on a three-year adventure around the globe with his family accommodated by his connection with a company called Awake Origins. Along the way, he delved into the profound questions about money, economics, and the vast global uh, wealth disparities. These contemplations inevitably led him to the captivating world of Bitcoin, a place he's never looked back from. Today, Mark dedicates his time to empowering individuals and businesses to seamlessly integrate Bitcoin into their daily lives, all while continuing his global explorations. His passion for Bitcoin stems from its potential to revolutionize the way we perceive and interact with money, fostering financial freedom and independence for all. So join us as we uncover Mark's remarkable story filled with insights, experiences, and a deep-seated belief in the transformative power of Bitcoin. Prepare to embark on a journey of financial enlightenment as we explore the world through Mark's unique perspective. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Gigi. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Perfect. Well, likewise, it's, it's a pleasure. We met some, some couple of weeks ago at the Amsterdam Bitcoin conference. And since then, um, I've been eagerly waiting to have you on as uh, I definitely one of my favorite uh, podcast episodes are more the philosophical talks and, and with your spiritual awakening and essentially the spiritual journey down the orange rabbit hole. I would love to hear essentially where does your story start? Yeah, that's of course uh, the the question of your podcast, and it's like a very profound and deep question. So let me try to answer it in a quote unquote short way, so that we can have lots of things to discuss further on. But I would say that it actually started, um, and and that's funny because uh, the awake origins principle is to um, to it, it it tries to reach entrepreneurs to um, do business on a higher level of consciousness, right? So usually we're all in business to quote unquote make money. Um, mm. But if you sense that there is like um, this, this inside creator, like this, this person from within that creates from within in, instead of from the outside going in, we go from the inside going out, it, it gives a lot more purpose. And the fact that I was doing programs with them and at the same time, saw and met people that were into Bitcoin from a spiritual angle, made it click for me back then. Mm. But still, I wasn't that far already. I was still doing my own personal spiritual journey. So before I went and sold everything with my family, with my two two beautiful, beautiful daughters and my wife, before I got to that point, I still not completely understood what money was all about. And to me, it was just a um, part of the old system, right? Of mm. the lower vibrations, of the lower consciousness. So at first I thought, okay, money is just something that we need in the old world and not per se in the new world. And up until the time that I got really connected with who I was and with other people from the space was the moment that I started to realize that Bitcoin actually is a spiritual tool, right? Mm -hmm. It's the death of ego. And, and if you understand how important it is to understand the role of ego in your own system and then extrapolate that to the whole global financial system that we now for the first time in history have a money that enforces the death of ego, ego in the whole world by yeah. not being able to control the most important tool of humanity, that to me was the profound, profound insight that I had. And then I started to travel the world 
And then, of course, you go to all those countries where they all experience broken currencies and you realize I need to do something about this. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, this is something that essentially has been calling for centuries that human, humankind never had. And it was always suppressed by different means and especially financial means. Um, and as you said, this is truly a, a global phenomenon. It's not something just affects Europe or Latin America or Asia. It's a true, it's, it's a true awakening without borders. Uh, but what I, what I found very fascinating, um, uh, which I mentioned in the introduction, was kind of you had this wake up call in 2020, kind of 2020 was, was your breaking point. So if I could ask, what was kind of the, the specific aspect of the 2020 pandemic that served as a wake up call for you regarding the role of governments in our financial system? Yeah. Um, good question. It, it, <laughs> yeah, that's just, it's such a good question, because if if I... Um, of course, you have always that bias of hindsight, right? So in hindsight, it's always easy to see what has happened. Um, but back then, in the moment, um, I, I already received signals from my direct environment. Again, mm. the community that I was part of was trying to cut down the noise, right? So there, it, the, the whole purpose of it was to learn to trust the, the guidance from within, right? And I don't want to get too spiritual right here because, um, of course, um, I'm able to think rationally as well. But back then, if I was not able to raise my awareness and to see, to, to get a more like a helicopter view, like an overview of what was happening, then you are just getting like sucked up by all the information that is almost everywhere and of course in the real beginning stages i already had some type of energy and i was already connected more with myself that i saw okay this is not right and even still and even still i felt like um oh my god we need to be careful at least a little bit perhaps it's more worse than i now think it is and so i needed for i guess i i needed like two or three weeks in march when it was hitting the united states and when it was hitting um was when, when it was hitting Europe. And um, what I saw was people going nuts. So that was the real wake-up call, right? People were actually going nuts. And um, if it, it becomes easier to see when people are going nuts. If you are connected with yourself, it's easier to stay rational. And it's easier to just go back to first principle to go back to fundamentals. And once I was back to that part, I could easily see how the quote unquote other part of the population was going nuts. I thought, okay, this might be a signal. And so that to me was the part that I started to um, talk to my wife about stuff. I think we are now on this journey and we, we need to sell and leave and explore multiple parts of the world. And one plus one became three. So, Mark, um, let me ask you the question. What was the specific aspect of the 2020 pandemic that served as a wake-up call for you regarding the role of government in our financial institutions? Yeah, so it's a good question. Uh, I, I heard, of course, I um, like I said, it's in hindsight, it's, it's always easy to look back and see what I could have done better or that it was obvious or that it was in plain sight happening all again. It To me, it was... Until that moment, I've heard multiple narratives, stories from a quote-unquote conspiracy theorist that said how governments try to control it all in Europe, in the States, the elites, etc., etc. But of course, um, whereas I was open-minded to all kinds of narratives, I was also um, skeptical about, about certain narratives because I have not experienced it myself. Being a true Bitcoiner, it's trust, right? Don't trust, but verify. <laughs> yeah. So it was until this moment that something actually happened in our own country, in the Netherlands, where we for the first time saw in so clearly how the governments were able to actually control it all, right? Mm. And how they were overreaching and how they were pushing and how they were lying and were using the media. And... Um, that being part in the same narrative as I was, of course, on my own journey, starting to become more awake on myself, on my own 
uh, as an individual, so without government, so actually start to listen to the to the the quality from within, the the voice from within, the guidance to make sure that you're able to create from the inside out. It was one plus one is three at the time. So mm. yes, I was already in a community community with entrepreneurs with a higher level of consciousness. They were actually creating stuff without noise, right? They were already at that place. And then when this happened, I was starting to wake up, also being part of these entrepreneurs that were already on this high frequency. And they were like, dude, anyone can see on a high level of consciousness that this is just BS. Like literally everyone, once you are at that level, you can see this has nothing to do with um, with a disease in and of itself. It has something to do with the control. And then, of course, I, 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 I went to my wife and I said, this is probably the moment that we are going to start our world travel because they say we cannot travel. That meant for me, now is the time <laughs> we should start traveling with our kids. And then, of course, I entered all those countries with all those broken currencies. You start to ask questions. You start to listen to more podcasts. You start to read more books about money and about Bitcoin. And it's pretty easy once you do that to move away from all the shit coins, to move away from all the narratives that you always have believed when you were growing up. Because you start to understand what a centralization of power means. You start, mm. to start to understand what it means when a government, a central authority, has the control over the money. And you also start to understand what type of narratives they need in order to maintain that situation of having that centralized form of power. So yes, the 2000, 2020 pandemic actually was the wake-up call. Oh my God, now for the first time, I actually see in real time governments doing stuff they should not be doing. So yeah. That's it. <laughs> well, I, I find it fascinating to talk about timing when you kind of sell everything off and say, you know what, let's go travel the world when the whole world is kind of being shut down and being told to, to sit at home quietly like 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 puppets, which I, I also, I found that a fascinating period in, in life. You know, I mean, growing up, I always looked up this 2020 year was kind of like a symbolic, I thought 2020 will have flying cars, we'll be exploring, you know, interplanetary travels. And then actually the reality was you sit at home in, in my country, in Cyprus, we, we had even further stupidity. You had to send an SMS text if you wanted to leave the house. So every time I had to walk the wow. dog, I had to send out a, a stupid message. It was just, it didn't make any sense. But out of all this kind of burden and suppression, it's amazing how for individuals such as yourself, kind of, it was that opening moment, awakening saying, you know what, let's, you know, cut out from the chains and, and really, you know, live the life that we want to live. So maybe we can touch yeah. upon a little bit about your global travels and, and your connection with, with the awake origins and, and kind of how did this contribute to your understanding to the overall money economics and the global wealth disparity? Yeah, yeah, and that's a good question because it's funny uh, because it, within the awake origins community, like the, 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 the the entrepreneurs that uh, try to create business, to create the world we all want to see based on their own creation, right? Uh, on this higher frequency, this higher level of consciousness, they, they don't like to talk about money per se. So it was basically me, only me. So it had to happen to me at the same time as the other stuff happened. And of course, like we are all unique, right? We all have our own um, um, set of experiences that we have experienced that brought us to this moment, right? And um, once you are starting to really trust, because trust is, is, is a word that you have to understand deeply in order to actually trust everything that happens to you, right? Because mm. then it's actually happening for you. And so to me, I believe like it was happening in 2018, 2019. I already had my own company. I was already an entrepreneur, but I was always doing the stuff that made me money and not actually the stuff that I wanted to create myself. Mm. And I already knew this. I felt this, but I could not give the right words to it. And there was no one that actually could understand me in my direct surroundings. So this community helped me to actually start trusting literally trusting my own gut, my feeling mm. from within. 
And the funny thing is, once you start doing that, life does not become easier right away in the 3D reality because things are actually, it feels like they go backwards. It starts <laughs> to get a little bit more difficult in a way, money-wise and in all various aspects of life. But it feels good. And that's the <laughs> thing. It feels good. So so it's, you don't have to think rationally about what you're doing anymore because you feel that what you do is what you should be doing. And that's a whole different ballgame. And if you then compare that to Bitcoin, now it becomes interesting. Because, of course, like you told in the introduction, I was already, always investing traditionally. Then people hooked me up with Bitcoin and crypto. So I thought, of course, like almost anyone in the beginning, yeah, crypto is more interesting because I can buy more uh, with less and yeah. they have smaller market caps so I can make more Returns. money, get rich quick. But <laughs> exactly, but it never, in hindsight, felt good. Yeah. It did not felt feel right. And now, because of that awakening um, through Awake Origins, and the thing that happened in 2020, now you start to feel unease if you keep <laughs> investing in crypto because you start to understand what is going on. And if you start to understand what's going on and that it all ties back to fiat and the centralization of power, you also understand that crypto, right, is, well, I have not researched all cryptocurrencies. So from what I know, 99.9%, .9%, perhaps more, is nothing more than some type of digital copy of the oh, fiat yeah. system that we already have, right? Yeah. And perhaps I'm wrong. Maybe someone else way smarter than me who researched it all tells me something different. Perhaps that is the case. But to me, it's not important because your question, my answer to my question is, I've learned how to feel. And that's then it becomes really interesting because you just feel when someone is right. So I meet someone and I feel this person is right for me. This is an added value in my life. And if you then extrapolate this to all the people that I've met when I was traveling the world, it was so easy to make new friends because yeah. I was on this higher level of consciousness. I attracted other people that also had that higher level of consciousness because the lower vibrations didn't, didn't come near me you. for whatever no. reason. No, it didn't, didn't resonate. And then last thing that I want to say, because this is what makes me fired up about Bitcoin. Every Feel Bitcoin. Free, keep, keep the fire going. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like it's, of course, you can have different um, points of view. You can have different core. No, the core values are almost always the same. And yep. that's funny. So uh, to me, it just feels right when I listen to a Bitcoin, even if he thinks differently. For example, about health, about food, about politics, about phil philosophy, even then. But at the end of the game, in the end of the game, it clicks. And so it makes it easy to work in this space and it makes it easy to align with your own core values. And then now I add value to the Awake Origins community as well, because A, I have traveled the world and I have seen how the vibrations are there in all those countries. I have experienced all those broken currencies in real time, in real life. And all those broken currencies are mostly the driver behind their poverty and behind their situation. And if you then bring that and tie that back to my role here in this world, I have to create, I have to help create something that makes it also more easier for everyone on this planet, right? And if it all ties back to money and Bitcoin is the ego death of money and the ego death of centralized governments, yeah, I, I, I think I can tie this all together with me traveling the world, being part of Awake Origins and now doing what I'm doing. No, I, I uh, it's it's amazing. You, you put it in, in in very nice terms, kind of the, the frequency aspect, right? I, I see it as us humans, when we communicate, we're like radio frequencies. If I'm on 99.0 FM and you're on 101 FM, we cannot really, we're not on the same frequency. But once we get to this 21.0 frequency, everything just, just is fluid. And then when you bring in the law of attraction, which I'm a deep believer that, you know, kind of what you put out is what you receive. Um Yes. Life, yeah, you said it, it, it gets more difficult when, when you kind of decide to venture on your own, um, you make less money. 
but the end goal is not about making this X amount of money, which 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 you mentioned. And I I also am 100% certain that with everybody that's in crypto and trading the, these outs and, and, the, and the shitco casino, they're looking how much they can gain to then switch it back to fiat, which is stupid. It's it's like a hamster running in, in, in a wheel. You want to get rid of that wheel, not, not, not put it to a digital wheel. So going back to exactly. kind of the, the transformation, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And, and more than that, kind of when you realize that the true kind of wealth people have, a, people have a different perception that they think wealth is how much money you have in your bank account. But wealth is the, the happiness that you have in your life. And what you've done, and, and I really praise and cherish, and, and perhaps one day I can follow your, your footsteps, because I, I also, as you know, I have two, two young, beautiful daughters, and I would love to travel the world and, you know, help other people, you know, have this awakening moment. And you realize that actually the things that give you joy in life, they're free, they're priceless. You know, spending time with your family, exploring, communicating, learning about new cultures, really experiencing life, you know, and, and not being in this kind of rat race of nine to five job, or in some cases, two, three jobs, which at the end of the day, that gives you no happiness, you're wasting your own time, you're miserable, you're making other people miserable, you're making your family, your friends, everybody's miserable. And and that kind of makes sense why the world is the way we are. And once again, this streams back to the root of evil, which is the fiat money controlled by governments, backed by absolutely nothing, this trust word that, that we like talking about. But in the Bitcoin world, it's you don't trust anyone, you verify everything yourself. Um, I guess this is this is the only time in, in, in history and probably ever that everybody has a, a public ledger that everybody can verify everything. There's no more trusting, no individual, no manager, no, no nobody. You truly become your sovereign self. But at the same time, it's scary for some people, right? Maybe perhaps, Mark, for you, for me and, and kind of the other fellow Bitcoiners, we cherish the self-sovereignty and, and full control of, of our, our lives and, and basically our, our wealth. Uh, but to some people kind of, you know, having this responsibility, they've been, how can I put it correctly? They've kind of been shaped and, and kind of the society has made them, you know, to, to be just, you know, a number in a system and always be dependent on someone. Is it their parents, their banker? So it's really hard to shift this paradigm of thinking of you are your own sovereign individual. You control your life. You are essentially the master of your own faith, which... I truly hope sometime in the future, you know, majority of humanity really takes that power into account. But until then, it, it's it, it's a long journey. Um, Bitcoin, for those new listeners, has only been around for 15 years. I mean, that's a bleep in the history of time. If we look at these legacy markets that have been around, I mean, for centuries and thousands of years. Yet, how much we've achieved so far in such a small period of time is also fascinating to, to be uh, have a market cap even though I don't know if that's relevant or not, but half a trillion dollars in less than 15 years is is fascinating. And it's, you know, Bitcoin's quickly outpacing majority of world classes and it's carrying on in the tra tra trajectory. And as we move forward, then I don't want to mention the whole ETF gimmick. There's been too much talk about that happening anyways, but just generally people, especially in developing countries, opting out of their system and saving and preserving their wealth in Bitcoin. I mean, the future is the only way is up. And I'm not talking about price. I'm just talking about the power back to the people. So yeah, yeah I, I resonate a lot with, with what you mentioned. And maybe on this topic, I, I can ask, talking about the general people, Mark, what would you say are some of the challenges that you encounter in, in helping individuals and businesses adopt Bitcoin at this point in time? Yeah, so the, of course there is a difference. Uh, it's, it's different everywhere. The challenges are different everywhere because of course, um, like the beginning of the journey, I was, uh, it was an individual journey and it was a journey as a family, right? With the four of us. So to begin with like me being a 24 seven dad, parents and person that st suddenly starts to travel the world in countries that he has never been to before <laughs> that of course creates some type of <clears throat> like broader sense of development right i mm. I, I can uh, i i can relate to um someone that i uh, came across during my world travel and he explained it like usually we are always learning vertically so especially if you're in your own country and you try to be an expert in something like for example a bitcoin expert helping businesses you are going to study all the way in depth, right? And it's a vertical process. But once you start to like open your eyes more, be more awake and a broader view, and you start to explore various parts of the world, all those different types of cultures and countries with all those different jurisdictions and all those different things that eventually 
influence the way how people can adopt Bitcoin or our businesses can adopt Bitcoin, you start to get a more horizontal way of learning. Mm. So I have been learning horizontally three years now. And now I'm back for two months in the Netherlands or three months. And now I'm starting to learn. My learn, learning curve is now going to, to become vertically again, right? <laughs> but it grows exponentially because I started with this horizontal view. I hope it makes sense. So uh, keep, yeah, yeah. Keep, keep with me here. <laughs> so whilst I was traveling all those countries and I was helping people locally to get a better understanding of money, that was the first part. And then the second part, <clears throat> start, get off zero with Bitcoin. And then mm -hmm. once they are there and I'm longer there in, in some type of country or region or local place, I then help them to sell their services for Bitcoin instead. Um, so what I have experienced is what you said in the introduction of this question is so true. People are raised, educated, um, brainwashed almost into believing... Yep that lots of things that they might dream of are not really for them, right? And that's because of the fiat system. So for whatever they have created in life, all the added value that they've created or economic output, they have stored in some type of broken currency, in some type of broken fiat money. And they actually believe that to be the case forever. So they don't see, when I say Bitcoin could be an answer, they don't see it as an answer. They at most see it as a cool gimmick. As something nice to have. Oh, funny! I can I can do I can sell my origins or I can sell my surf um, uh, my surf services uh, so to uh, like my board my surfboard or something else for Bitcoin. Um, but they don't see it as money right away. So the challenges to me are to get through that brainwash type of energy, right? Mm. To actually ask questions. So as a Bitcoiner you and I and almost all Bitcoiners that might be listening to this podcast, they probably do all the same. They study like crazy. So they go into the vertical process, right? They study, study, study. They know the whole history of money. They know everything about Bitcoin, everything about shit coins. They know everything. So they can quote unquote win all arguments, all conversations. But I would argue that the more challenging thing is to be educated, quote unquote, for the people that are not watching, educated in a more horizontal view. Did you actually understand where someone else is coming from? What he or she thinks, what he or she believes about money, about culture, about politics, about, um, about centralized authority? Because lots of people, especially in Europe, they believe in central authorities. Yeah. So if you then go out and say to a business owner, yeah, but this is not good, this fiat money, because they control it centrally and therefore they create inflation and therefore they steal your wealth. They basically say, dude, I'm happy that we are um, located in the Netherlands. So what are you <laughs> talking about? If you don't like it here, go back to Dominican Republic or go back to all the other countries in South America. And even there, even if they inherently understand better what inflation does to them because they are living in those broken currencies, yes, true, but if you then continue that conversation into government bad, yes, mostly true. But that does not mean that they inherently trust something new, like a decentralized form of money that goes up and down all the time. Yeah. So yeah, there are the challenges, I would say, that you um, have to step back, sometimes forget all that you know, and start with an open mind and an open heart and ask specific questions to get to know them better. And then there is some type of need underneath there. And if you can mm. figure that one out through questions, then perhaps you can help with everything that you know. And you ask for the, the challenge. So this is the challenge for most, but also for me, because as you can hear, I love talking, right? <laughs> so so it, it, it's an easy trap to get into that trap of explaining everyone to anyone, but you might lose them very quickly. And what I experienced right now, the last three months in the Netherlands, entrepreneurs are interested, yes, but if you keep talking, you lose them because it's too much all at once. They can't digest all the information. I, I, I fully resonate that with you. Um, and, and, and I guess yeah. the challenge for, for both for you and me, Mark, is, is to kind of to break down and just get the core message out and kind of leave out that the fun fluff, which, which we enjoy and kind of sharing yes. the, the, the enthusiasm. I think that's 
truly a challenge that, that, that we share together. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but on the basis of, of kind of Bitcoin tra- tra- transformation um, and, and perception, um, how, how do you envision, Mark, kind of Bitcoin transforming the, the way we perceive and, and interact with, with money on, on day-to-day basis? How, how do you see that changing in the future? And, and kind of, does it go back to yeah. getting people on a clean, you know, clean sheet, which is extremely hard because telling someone that, you know, everything you've been taught since you were born is absolute BS and you've been lied to. Um, and, and also maybe to touch upon a little bit with, with Latin America that you mentioned kind of these, these con- countries that are going through hyperinflation and, you know, their, their, their national currencies essentially the value is like toilet paper. They, they can't get nothing with it. And instead of jumping to Bitcoin, they're moving to U.S. dollars, which they see as a safe haven, yet they do not understand that that loses value every day as well. Not at the same pace, of course, as their own native currencies, but it's it's the same rigged game, right? Um, so, so how does yeah. how do you envision Bitcoin really transforming kind of the the interaction with money globally as we move forward? And I'm yeah. not saying tomorrow, it, but 10, 20, 30 years mm. time. No, I get it. Yeah. Like, it's funny that you ask me because, of course, I post on LinkedIn every day. And to l- lots of people that are listening, perhaps Bitcoiners, they, they, they see LinkedIn as a boomer uh, platform, right? And, and, <laughs> yeah. and, but I, I look, there's so much information already flying around in, on Twitter. So many smart people sharing everything that they have. And I just decided to do the same on LinkedIn. And now I have conversations every day. So, the posts are going really well, but I have lots and lots of negative energy underneath my posts as well. And they basically ask this this question that you now ask, like, what on earth are you talking about? Bitcoin is never going to be money. It's way too <laughs> volatile. Um, and the fact that it has a limited supply means by definition that it cannot be money ever. That's basically the consensus energy on LinkedIn from all the financial experts that have a profile on LinkedIn. So um, this question is very funny. And I would say, look, like nobody can see the future unless I cannot. And if you think about this out loud, I could easily see if you also think with uh, think about Latin America, Africa, uh, Central East Asia, etc. All the countries that I've traveled to, if you think about those countries, then it only makes sense. Of course, it makes sense that they go to the dollar. Right, because it's a less bad option than the mm. than the Argentinian peso, so they go to the dollar first. But it's still not a good option. And the funny thing, I guess, is that if in multiple countries at the same time the fiat currencies are dying faster than usual, because we are at the end of a long term debt cycle, as Ray Dalio calls it, and you see in multiple countries at the same time, and we have various forms of social media and decentralized forms of media. This message get gets out. So if at multiple times, at the same time, um, in multiple locations, you see fiat currencies dying, it means that they either A, have to all go to the dollar, which makes the dollar stronger, but B, yeah. they also have to get dollars. Not everyone is able to get dollars. So I would assume that it's easier to get Bitcoin than to get especially physical dollars or a bank account with dollars. So once the dollar grows stronger, by definition, all the other currencies, including the euro and the yen and the yuan, are getting weaker. And if people see this also happening in real time, because by definition, if really small fiat currencies are dying and are flowing into the dollar, you can see the dollar going up like some like sort of the milkshake theory about the dollar from Santiago Capital. Let's say it happens. Let's say it plays out like that. Yes, the dollar goes stronger, but at the same time, our currencies, even from the wealthier nations, become weaker. They too get the memo through social and decentralized media. And what happens then? And I would say that would be the interesting part because then I guess you see things moving towards the dollar, Things moving towards gold, like central banks, foreign central banks, and perhaps wealthy investors, they move into physical gold. And of course, people move into Bitcoin because it's easier. It simply is easier. So I guess that, like you said, 10 years, 15 years, I think in that time frame, it makes sense to me that the dollar goes stronger and at the same time, Bitcoin goes as well. 
Yeah. And because it's so um, so accessible and because it's so easy to download a wallet and exchange your goods and services for Bitcoin, uh, the, the, the faster it goes. So yeah, I would say if we end up with a market cap of like between five and 10 trillion, we are way more stable than we are right now. And then I assume that almost anyone with a brain at least for their own personal lives, would use Bitcoin at least as a reserve asset, perhaps not as a money because they have to pay rent and they have to pay insurances in their own local currency still. But at least they would have some type of personal situation where they have Bitcoin as a reserve asset and they might use it as money once they are traveling or they might use it as money um, to pay you or to pay exchange. me because we exchange our goods and services already for Bitcoin. But so it's yeah. already a form of money, but not the best form of money yet as money, but it's already best reserve assets for people in, in their private and for business lives. So yeah, and then of course you can make the mathematical um, uh, conclusions yourself as well. If market <laughs> caps keep growing and more and more businesses and individuals use it as quote unquote global reserve uh, um, asset or as an asset, behind their own currency, then of course more and more people are going to ask to pay with it once they have enough of it because they don't want to convert it yeah. back into a weaker currency. Yeah, that, it make, does it make sense? How do you think about yeah, it? No, for, for, for sure. And if I want to add um, a, a funny thing that you mentioned, there are people on LinkedIn and, and just generally when, when you speak to them, generally the no coiners and, and, and you tell them that Bitcoin eventually it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when will truly become the most sound money that humans and, and earth has ever seen. And then the argument comes in, oh, but there's only 21 million of them. To what I ask these people, I tell them, well, how many units are there in one Bitcoin? And in 99.9% of cases, they don't give me an answer. And then when I tell them, do you know that there's 100 million Satoshis in each Bitcoin? They kind of, the, their pupils widen and, and they're like, they have a little aha moment. And then I go, well, multiply that 100 million by 21 million. What do you get? That's 2.1 quadrillion units. Now, <laughs> if we zoom out and look at this shitcoin that, that you prefer, may it be the dollar, the, the British pound, the US dollar, the whole global worth of all assets is under one quadrillion. It's about 900, 950 trillion and then in that sense, I tell them, well, how can you tell me it can be a unit of account? And they go, uh-huh. So they walk off scratching their head. So I think it goes once again back to the educational aspect and people thinking, you know, I can just get one Bitcoin. Or a lot of people, you know, I try to orange people on daily basis as much as I can. And when I tell them, you know, do you hold any Bitcoin? They go, oh, no, it's too expensive. I go, well, you can sacrifice 50 euros or $50 a month and, and just, just stack. And they go, can you? Can you buy a piece of it? So I think there's a big educational gap on even a basic level. Forget the technicals, the taproot and segwit and everything and, 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 and layer twos. Just the aspect of that you can get a, a fraction of it. And over time, the purchasing power goes parabolic compared to the purchasing power of your fiat, which, which is basically devalued on second basis. Every second, the more that's printed, the less the, the, the value drops. So I think there's, there's an interesting correlation with that. And yeah, I, I, you know, I'm bringing it back. It's a slow process. People will still inevitably, you know, go to the dollar and, and kind of see it as the easy option. But as more and more businesses will offer, you know, going to your Saturday market and the stalls having a QR code and you have, you know, your, your, your HODL stack that you achieved. And from then on, you might as well just transact in it and share this, essentially this, this beautiful asset with other people and encourage a circular economy, which at the end of the day, it's nice hodling Bitcoin, but if everybody's just holding it and not using it, it kind of defeats the purpose. But at the current yeah. times, when you look at kind of how rare and scarce it is, and you know, people talk about the Bitcoin halvings, which the next halving is, is coming up in less than six months, but that's only going to be the fourth halving. And there's 32 halvings you know, encoded into the Bitcoin protocol. And then you question yourself, oh my God, well, should I use my sats now? Maybe, you know, I'll do a small donation, you know, to, to, to show it to people, to give a real life example. But later down the line, as you said, in 10, 15 years time, as let's say we get to a 10 trillion uh, market cap, at that point, also the price will be more stable. It won't be dropping 20% on a daily, you know, it'll be very hard to have these black swan events. But for all that, it's, it's a stage that we need to get to. So on, on, on those bases, let me ask you the, the next question, Mark, and what are your hopes for the future of Bitcoin um, 
impacting society at large? Yeah, um, well, look, like I'm on LinkedIn a lot, right? So my echo chamber on LinkedIn is with lots of people that are trying to fight this. Um, mm. Subconsciously fight it or consciously fight it. So um, you can see like all the arguments that you just gave to me and all the arguments that I'm in with, like um, in the conversation that I'm in on LinkedIn, you can really see that they start off by analyzing Bitcoin if they have done it at all with a closed mind. So they want to see um, and find something that makes it fail, right? So mm. they actually think about, okay, what if Bitcoin is the hardest money ever, then everybody is going to save it and not spend it. So it becomes a worth worthless money or it's not a good form of money because it, deflation happens and nobody spends, et cetera, et cetera. Or otherwise they say Bitcoin cannot be money because it has some type of maximum supply, even though Every Bitcoin is divided by 100 million Satoshis. Still, some type of central authority of some type of uh, group has to be able to adjust the money supply whenever we have an economic bust or whenever we have something. And all those arguments are constantly there. Every time the Keynesian economic brainwash is off the charts. And they don't even consider Austrian economic principles, right? They don't even consider it. So that means, this is a long answer to your question. What do I expect for the future? Like at first, this whole brainwashed generation of field professors that have um, <laughs> trained other field professionals and professors. Experts, and as they educated, call themselves. Yes, experts and students. And everyone on LinkedIn from the age of 30 to the age of 70 believes in Keynesian economics with all that they have. So these generations, of course, the older generations, they, they die first. But the generations underneath the boomer generations also have this Keynesian economic energy into their bones, especially the ones that have studied, especially the ones higher up in the hierarchy. So that mm. makes it makes sense to me that this, this, this process has to, of course, uh, die. Or it at least has to go further. This process needs to develop a little bit further that the ones that have studied are going to be taken less seriously than the ones that have, a, actually have experienced life. That being said, mm. therefore, I guess, like if you ask me, Mark, what do I expect of the future? I do believe it will take some time, but also our brains are not capable of thinking exponentially, right? So perhaps it goes way faster than I now can believe. But if I then go forward, fast forward in time, at least 10, 15 years, perhaps 20, I do believe that if we change, that we will change society at large. Because if you indeed understand how inflation is such an important feature of the current financial system and that inflation is nothing different than stealing wealth from the ones that receive the money the latest in other words the middle class and the poor so it's a centralization of power tool and it's stealing so if stealing is at the base layer of society obviously that cannot be a good incentive right it cannot be something that uh, helps people thrive so if you remove stealing from the equation we suddenly have a base layer where we add the, the, the base layer of incentives that we call money, then suddenly nobody has to worry about his or her, her wealth getting stolen, being stolen anymore. And again, most people don't do this consciously, but subconsciously, like I've studied psychology. If I know one thing is that our subconscious brain is way stronger and way mm. more important than our conscious brain because it does it, it decides 80 to 85% of all the things that we do, perhaps even more. So understanding this, that if we have at the base layer of society, a, a, a fundamental layer that steals subconsciously that does something to the whole humanity. So if you remove that from the equation, I see lots and lots of beautiful things happening. For starters, almost everyone being able to escape the red race and being able to, to spend time with the things that they actually love doing, for example, their families. And if you start to spend time on your family, like I did for three years, nonstop, I still do it, but that was like a period of nonstop. You see your kids grow and you mm. see them grow so fast, so efficient. 
um, into nice, kind, strong people that are actually making the world a better place. Can you imagine if instead of all those divorces that we have all over the world all the time, because nobody is genuinely happy and people are only seeking a partner to become to feel whole for a certain period <laughs> in time, right? Not, not to add on to their happiness, no, not because they are unhappy it. without... Exactly, because they're unhappy without someone, they choose someone to be unhappy together, actually. That's basically what most people do. Okay, I need you to feel whole instead of feel whole from the get-go. I believe that that has a lot to do with the way we raise our children. And, and if you think about that, lots of families are broken. Broken money, yeah. broken families. And if you instead remove the broken money, I guess the incentive is there that people can be more at ease because they can trust their wealth, therefore have more time and energy to spend the things they actually like so they are more happy. Therefore, they don't need a partner that they don't like. They only want mm. a partner for an add-on in happiness. So you get more happy families and happy families create happy children. Happy children create a happy society. So um, I think about that if you ask me the question about the power of Bitcoin long term. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think everything streams from, from child upbringing. Unfortunately, the world that we find ourselves today and which I despise this kind of this trend of divorce, right? People get together in most cases for looks. Oh, so the girl wants to get with a nice buff guy. The guy wants to get, you know, with a nice attractive, call it sexually appealing woman but then there's no chemistry it, it as you said you share unhappiness with a partner and then when a when a child comes into into this world and you know in some cases the love is not really shown and and, and you're not there for the child where as you said and i see it in my own children they grow so fast and if you're not there to really kind of cater them and guide them through the world and show them the right way of living and, and truly show them what happiness is it, it basically closes them in and, and makes them also unhappy, which in the long run, as they grow up, they're unhappy and society is unhappy. And it's kind of this revolving um, wheel that keeps on going. And, and I, I couldn't agree more with you kind of for us to have this positive and impactful society where, where we all work together and we care for each other. We need to start off with the kids. But for us to be dedicated in time for the kids, we also need to optimize our life, like in your case, where you can, you know, be dedicating the time that you want to your child, not working two, three jobs, kissing them, you know, good night before bed, and then, you know, seeing them in the morning and shooting off to your work, and essentially kids being in their own bubble. So that can only be achieved if, as you said, if you do truly something that you love. One of the most powerful and resonating quotes that my father and my father was was my role model. He, he was an entrepreneur. Um, essentially, my family comes from a history. Well, before even the, the term entrepreneur was invented, we were tradesmen, right? We were always buying and selling goods. And he told me a very powerful yeah. quote when I was growing up. And I was always thinking, what do I want to be? And he always told me, son, you know, don't, don't think about what you want to be. Think about what you want to do in life. Because if you do what you love, you don't work a day in your life. And I kind of it took me a long yeah. time to, to understand and comprehend that, that actually by doing something that you love, you're actually helping the world to be a better place, you know, and not having this um, kind of prejudice of, oh, I need to make a certain amount of money every month to be happy, to be financially free, because you will never achieve it. Because with deflation and essentially the, 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 the printing that the central banks do, you will always be in this rush to, to get to this kind of financial freedom, which is an illusion. So. I highly resonate and 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 kind of um, understand your your point of view that that child upbringing is crucially yeah. one of yeah. the most important factors of of making society a better place. And then more than that is the educational aspect, which which I already mentioned. Um, education fundamentally in schools and universities needs to be revamped, and and we need the clean sheet to, to, to start over again, because the stuff that children are being taught and myself as well, I have a degree in, 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 in business management. I was taught pure Keynesian economics. And at the time, of course, I didn't know what Austrian economics was, but anything that you would bring up even similar to that or contradicting Keynesian economics, it would be dismissed as no, forget it. That's, that's utopia. This is the way things are kid. And, uh, and I guess, you know, it, it takes time 
And as you said, you know, for the older generations to, to, to move on to essentially the next realm and younger generations to take over, to really take this effect into hand. But I think we're really starting to, 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 to see this slowly, especially with, with presidential candidates around the world. Of course, you know, Bukele being the, the, the prime example of how he put his country on, on, on a Bitcoin standard. And now, um, you know, nearly three years later, we can see the impact that it's actually doing. And it's actually going back to what I mentioned, you know, revamping education and, and teaching kids about Bitcoin from the get-go when, when they're small children, when, when the mind is fresh and, and untampered and uncorrupted by these false you know, false prophecies of, of Keynesian economics and, and just, just the unhealthy economies that we see around the world. So I think going back, it's, it's, it's definitely something that we need to invest into our children to really make the, the world a better place. So, yeah, like what we are basically both saying here um, is something that I, of course, what attracted me to Bitcoin as well is the, is the, is the sentence, lower your time preference, right? Because mm. it's the exact opposite from the Keynesian economics to the Austrian economics. And Austrian economics, of course, tells how important saving is, whereas Keynesian economics actually says saving is deflation, right? If we store our wealth <laughs> too long, um, too much too long, then we basically get deflation. But they, what they forget about is that that deflation only is a problem not because it's price deflation, because it's, of course, a debt bubble that bursts due to printing too much money prior to that situation. But the lower your time preference is, is, the, is, is one of the most powerful sentences that I've learned and heard through Bitcoin, because it gives you the ability to be able to zoom out. And if you are able to zoom out, that means that you can think about the future instead of instant gratification. So if you can extend that instant gratification, you can basically, again, I, I'm com coming back to the feeling, you can think about it rationally, but you can also feel what's more important to do now to have an easy life later, right? And if you then tie this, uh, this back to your kids, to creating a family, to um, create wealth, to create happiness, all those things, all those things require you to be able to zoom out and do the right things now to show some discipline, some consistency in making the right choices now. Not always the most nice choices to make, but since you feel how important it is to raise your kid so that he or she can become the person he's able or she's able to be, a strong individual, a strong sovereign individual, you need to spend time, energy, and money in your kid, right? Yeah. If you only think about making money, like in the Keynesian economics, you have to be in that red race in order to pay for Netflix, to pay for your beautiful house, to pay for your lease car, <laughs> to pay for your vacations, to pay for other things that distract you from just being you. All the things are a distraction. And you need more of those distractions because you are more unhappy. It's a vicious <laughs> cycle. However, if you escape it, right? And if you are only able to, okay, it's, it's more important to be with my kids right now, to spend time, energy, and money into my kids because in a way, it might sound a little bit crazy, it's a long-term investment. It's an asset <laughs> as well if you would like to go it like that because your kids are going to take care for you later. Right, And that's what a saving type of society does. We give our wealth that we save to our ki kids so that they can take care of us as well. And then again, think long-term. So we don't need money from the government to take, uh, take care for our elderly because it always already happens in society. And the mm. same was true for your health. So we have wealth and health. Of course, I don't eat like shit today. And that zooming out part is funny, right? I, sorry, I cannot stop talking about it. But you can zoom out long-term, but you can even zoom out in the short-term. So like before I was aware of this phenomenon of lowering your time preference, zooming out and being connected with my, with my inner guidance, like before I was aware, I thought, I really thought that, for example, French fries made me happy. 
So because I was raised like that. So if you are good, yeah. you get candy. If you're good, you get chocolate. If you're good, you get fries. So I have an associative behavior that I believe I'm more happy once I ate French fries. But now that I'm, I have my own vision because I've zoomed out. I have a long-term vision. I know how I want my life to be. I act as if it already happened. I do the things that I need to do right now that are the same that I want to be doing in the future life so that I actually already live my life that I envision. Follow me? Mm, So if you then do that and you actually live the life that you envision already, all the wealth, health, and all the things that you want. So I see myself as a fit guy on my 60s and I want to see all my apps not because I want compliments from other people, because I want to be healthy. And so mm. then I get that behavior that I need to do right now to get to that vision. And I'm actually already that person right now. And that leads me to that example of French fries. It doesn't make me happy anymore. It mm. actually now has a subconscious Negative. association. Yes. So if I'm eating it, I feel like shit. I instantly feel like shit. So even that short-term instant gratification is gone. And that is why I do believe this is so powerful to keep talking about this and to actually um, yeah, erase that brainwash, educate our kids, what you were mentioning, and teach them how it feels to eat healthy, right? Because the story that you tell yourself is so powerful. And if you keep telling yourself that, it becomes a subconscious it. pattern. Yes, and then it's subconscious. So you don't even have to think about it. It becomes habitual behavior. It becomes me mm. eating a salad with ribeye in the, in, in, at noon, making sure that I enjoy that way more than when I eat French fries or something uh, other bad shit. And, and that to <laughs> me is so funny. And I hope it answers your question a little bit because I had to think about it while you were sharing your insights. I think that this is the way... Like instead of if I bring my kids to my family members, they feel sad for my kids because they don't get candy the whole day. True story, right? So it's a true story that because we raise our kids well, now our family members feel sad for our kids because they don't get candy all the time. Can you imagine? So that being said, I think we have lots of work to do to re-educate the world and start from another foundational layer so it becomes more natural to think like this, meaning zooming out, lower your time preference, aka Bitcoin. Yeah, Mark, no, I, I definitely resonate with with uh, with what you mentioned and it, it makes total sense. Now, kind of to, to, to conclude and as we do with all other guests, to, to bring up the question of what are some personal lessons that you've learned through your journey with Bitcoin that you'd like to share with other listeners and essentially, especially those who haven't taken the plunge into the Bitcoin and are kind of hesitant to do it. What is one or, or, or two messages that you would like to leave them with? It will change your life. It will definitely change your life because the deeper you go, the more you become aware of how huge this thing is and how much it affects every part of your life. And it's Mm. so funny because for the first time in history, um, I have something that I want to talk about every second of the day. And I am very broadly interested in lots of things, as you might have noticed, like food, like health in general, like sports, like psychology, like philosophy. I've read so many damn books and I'm interested in all of those, but I'm not as interested as I am in Bitcoin. So that's what I want to share with you. And and because it affects every part of your life, you will see yourself in the mirror if you're honest with yourself. And that becomes an interesting part of your journey because you have to stay honest with yourself because if it affects all parts of your life, you will find out that some of those parts you don't want to change because your ego gets involved or you are not able to change yet, or you are not ready to change yet. And Bitcoin will be a mirror showing you, yes, this is the time to change that part as well. It's right now you have to make the hard choices to have a easy, more happy life later. That's what I wanted to share.
Thanks a lot for, for taking the time. And it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, on the show today. And definitely this is not the last time because I'm sure we have a lot more things to discuss um, and definitely. keep some, so to say, goodies for the future. But um, where can we send our listeners to find and connect with you and, and follow you online? Of course, apart from LinkedIn, which, which you mentioned, um, what other platforms can people reach out to you on? Yeah, so indeed, on LinkedIn, I'm very active. So uh, my full name, you can find me definitely there. Mark with a C, von Versendal. And um, on Twitter as well, I, I, I guess my, uh, my, my handle is M von Versendal. But if you try to type in my whole name, just like you do on LinkedIn, you can find me as well. Um, I'm doing a lot of um, free sessions, training sessions, and all type of stuff in, um, in, um, in the Bitcoin and financial education realms. So if you would like to see me there, just, just hit me up with a, with a private message on LinkedIn or Twitter, and uh, we, um, we will have our conversation. <laughs> and you'll never look back at money again in the same way. Yeah, it's like it's like next to next to money, it's life in general. There is so much more to figure out together. And I do believe that if if you are able, if you're listening right now, you're able to open your mind and your heart um, towards everything new and are able to also okay with being okay with forget what everything that you have already learned, we can unlearn a lot. And if you can unlearn a lot, you can learn a lot, a lot of new stuff more. So make sure to check it out if you um, resonate with that. Perfect. Well, uh, Mark, pleasure as always. Um, I'll, I'll let you go spend time with, with your beautiful wife and, 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 and daughters. And we definitely look back to having you back in the future um, sometime next year to, to discuss this for a conversation further all the best my good friend thank you and speak to you soon thank you thank you Gigi. speak to you soon man bye bye